Welcome to Happiness 2.02 podcast. I'm your host, John Tuckums, founder, author, World Government Summit participant, and Forbes featured TEDx speaker, an inquisitive human who loves root knowledge. Happiness 2.02 is a mental health show for entrepreneurs that provides the full human cognition and the full breathing oxygen tools to rapidly shift states of mind and increase energy. Podcast guests include organization founders, world-renowned executives, MDs, PhDs, and remarkable leaders who have incredible stories and are helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen. You're listening to Happiness 2.02. This is your host, John Tuckums. You're listening to episode 24 with Dr. Gino Yu. Gino is a keynote speaker and has over 60 publications related to his research that includes creativity and consciousness, and is an associate professor and director of digital entertainment and game development at the School of Design at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. While you're listening to this podcast, if anything stands out to you as thought-provoking or remarkable, take a screenshot and write down what you've heard from Gino. Post the insight on social media, text the idea to a friend, or email what you've learned to a family member. Get this information out there. Without further ado, episode 24 of Happiness 2.02 podcast, Dr. Gino Yu. Gino, time is a finite resource. Underline everything you do across your life, your leadership, your initiatives, your speaking engagements. Only why do you do what you do? Only what drives you at your core? For me, it's probably uh, the uh, idea that time is a finite resource. (laughs) Mm. And so uh, for me, everything that I'm doing right now, I think stems from uh, what I've been doing before, I suppose. And as I'm older now, I'm, I'm actually 56 right now, and I have uh, four kids. The wow. way that you look at life changes. And um, <laughs> knowing that time is a finite resource, or at least framing things in that way, has you kind of re-examine time, your relationship with time, and your relationship with space and time, and really understanding why and what are you doing Uh, and where are you coming from uh, when you're doing what you're doing? And the premise of this and kind of the rough hypothesis is that if you can live and act from your deepest truth, then health, wealth, and happiness, and, and it's an investigation of what is your deepest truth, what are the stories motivating you, what are the emotions driving you, and how does space and time and how things happen in relation to your intention, how do things play out? Mm, I love that. And it's a dance of that. And so as you try to do something, how do things play out? And so even this interview, I think we first met at the TransTech conference and we had a wonderful time. You kind of walked me through some of your breathing exercises. Mm. And then we actually had some time at the, at the post party that we hosted uh, at the house, you know, going a little deeper and, and you kind of shared. Uh, and then we... I remember we were in several conversations, uh, and then that led to conversations on Facebook, which kind of led to this interview that's happening right now. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, it's really that investigation, and it's kind of the, that finding that deepest part of yourself. As part of your journey, what are some of the challenges that you've had? Because you know, really, this is an evolution as you know, you're able to take a, a deeper look and inter- a deeper uh, view of yourself. Uh, that's not always easy because there's little roadblocks in the way. It might be a judgment from a parent or it might have been you know, a critical professor that kind of 
holds you off from you know viewing certain aspects of your life. Can you show us the audience some of the challenges that you faced along the way, whether it's in high school or elementary school uh, or even in university. Well, all, all of the above. You know, I uh, was born in the United States. I'm Chinese American, and even there. <laughs> <laughs> and then my, my, my parents were immigrants at the time as well, too. Mm. And so part of all of this and what you're talking about is really uh, fitting in. And uh, as you try to do things and as, as you start exploring kind of the world and you start building your own worldview, uh, challenges are faced, constraints are put upon you. And I think exploring those challenges, integrating them, and then see what comes out of that is all kind of part of the investigation process. And ultimately, uh, you and all of your past experiences become a filter for which, from which you create the new. And so as an Asian American, it was very interesting kind of growing up because I'm living in the United States. I'm an American, but I'm Asian American. <laughs> and so in Asian American, it's really quite interesting in the United States because hmm. if you think of African American, there's kind of an identity there and Kind of, there's a solidarity, especially now with Black Lives Matter. Uh, if you're L Latino, you know there's a group there and there's an identity. But Asian Americans are fairly fragmented, and then Asian American males, especially when I was growing up, you know, you were either a computer geek or a, a math nerd or some kung fu master, right? And so it's kind of an emasculated kind of thing. And even among the Asian Americans, some people speak the language, some people don't. And uh, I remember growing up kind of the, as a male, the uh, like Asian women with white guys uh, ratio is like 80%. But then the Asian guys with white women percentage is like less than 10% or something. And so there were a lot of these inequalities uh, that mm. you had to kind of face and challenge. But then really looking at it, examining it became uh, an, an investigation. So actually, I got involved with uh, Asian American issues. I got into media and Asian American issues, just trying to kind of find my tribe. But that led to, you know, actually, I did a lot of music. I did the first Asian American rap, was got involved with musical theater and everything. And then that led to, uh, you know, even in university, I, uh, one of the big things that really tied to identity again was uh, as a grad student. I got three papers accepted to different conferences, one to a conference in Tokyo, one a month later in Nanjing, China, and one a month after that in Munich, Germany. And I convinced my advisor that it was cheaper to get around the world in one direction ticket than three separate round trip tickets. And at the time I was a starving student and I only had a thousand dollars cash and no credit card. Mm. And I ended up traveling around the world for like four months. And that, for me, was a really defining and formulative period because uh, part of the investigation in that was you go around the world, two things. One is if you go and you're open, you meet people and things always turn out, <laughs> you know, and so you don't know where you're going to end up. A lot of times when you're traveling that way, you don't even know where you're spending the night and everything, but then you meet people and then, and then you have this, um, I had this amazing four-month adventure. And you learn tricks of, you know, hanging out in third world countries and uh, looking at the monetary value rather than the currency, but by how much a Coca-Cola costs, <laughs> I still remember in, in each country. Mm. And so there's this emergence that, uh, and being open and allowing things to happen, which is kind of living in flow, if you will. 
And then the other thing that really hit me was if you go around the world, uh, and this was in 1989, and you go to all these different cultures. I was in Micronesia, Japan, through China, Thailand, Kuwait, Abu Dhabi, you know, Egypt, Greece, through Europe, uh, and up to Scandinavia before I headed back to the U.S., is that wherever you go, you have different people and different cultures. And although you don't speak the same language, if you kind of make eye contact and kind of gesture with them and just kind of point and utter, you can communicate. And so what is the commonality of all people? And then that investigation, you know, everyone's born, everyone dies. And while they're alive, they have to deal with themselves. And based upon that, that led later on uh, in my career to this research that I do kind of in consciousness and phenomenology and neurophysiology and really understanding how experiences shape people's worldviews. Absolutely amazing. And um, so you, you talked about this incredible journey that uh, you got to experience, uh, you know, inequalities uh, in America. Uh, you went on this journey of four months uh, as part of, uh, you know, this round-the-trip you know, ticket. The world. Yeah. Around the, around the world ticket. And, uh, you know, had these amazing experiences, eye-opening, really opening yourself up to different cultures, different experiences. And then now you're back into the real world. Um, with an entirely different view. Were there any other catalysts too as well as part of your journey that really kind of helped with that last little bit to, you know, it might've been a mentor or it might've been uh, a contact that uh, really helped get you to that next level in terms of being able to investigate and go deeper in terms of your inner journey and to start sharing that knowledge with the outside world. Uh, well, there were people along the way that helped out. Certainly as a grad student, you know, my thesis advisor was very, very instrumental. And then um, after that, my first boss uh, was uh, the associate dean when I, when I was in a research assistant professor at USC. Uh, he was also uh, very instrumental as well, too, in terms of shaping things. And then, and then naturally, my parents. Mm. But the best guide, uh, and this is going to sound a little crazy, but the best guide is... Um, is uh, <laughs> the guide within yourself in relation yeah. to how things play out in space and time. So yeah. arguably the game that everyone on the planet is playing is, you know, what's showing up in your thoughts Now, how does your body feel and how things play out in space and time. And that's the game that you, me, everyone on the planet, kids, adults, uh, everyone is kind of playing that game. And it's really investigating that with reverence, you know, realizing that life is precious. And every moment, as we're talking about this finite amount of time, every moment is precious. And so, you know, how are you, where are you coming from? What are you doing? And how, you know, what is that relationship between what you're feeling, what you would like to do, what your intentions are, and how things play out? Beautiful. I'd love to shift gears just a little bit at this point in time. You talked a little bit about flow. What are some of the experiences that get you to pinnacle states, flow states, and experiencing flow? Well, for me, um, the most important thing is presence. Hmm. And you'll notice when you're present, and, and this is part of the work that we do, is that if I think about something, especially in conversation and engagement, 
right now, as I'm speaking to you, uh, this is just through a microphone. We have no video, so I'm just kind of listening to a voice. But as I'm listening to your voice, I'm actually feeling my breath. I'm doing an internal scan of what's going on in my body, and I'm aware of all of the things that are happening around in my house. And earlier, we had to start this interview earlier because there were dings that were happening, and I just kind of turned those off because because I was w- aware of those, you know, and I I didn't want that to interfere too much with this interview, and so kind of the idea of presence is being able to be aware of what's going on within you and what's going on around you and being very, very aware of this. And what I mean by that is the interoceptive awareness, the awareness of how you're breathing and what's going on in your body and the awareness of what's happening around you. There's uh, The way I like to describe it is there's a near infinite resolution. Mm. And so there are a lot of times where you could be very deep in a conversation, you could be in a busy street and just be completely oblivious of what's kind of happening around you because your all of your energy and your focus and your attention is on the, the details and nuances of the conversation and, and the implications of it. And so, you know, the I, there you're, you're, you're kind of in thought and you're kind of not present. I see. Because all of your all of your focus and attention is directed to the details of the conversation. Presence, on the other hand, is to stay focused on that conversation. But while you're also focused on the conversation, you're also aware of your breath, the slight tensions that you have in your that may be developing in your body. For me, even as I'm speaking to you, I'm noticing my hands that are are moving you know, and gesturing, even though (laughs) I'm just speaking to a microphone right now. And then Mm -hmm. just being aware of all of the things that are happening around you. Now, what I mean by what's happening, there's a near infinite resolution, is the more you bring yourself here into the present moment, the more detail and the more resolution there is. Mm. As an example, even in this interview, you know, I can hear, you know, this, the, the texture of your breath, you know, the, your, your, your sniffles that just happened there, <laughs> you're aware of that. And mm. it, it's kind of like listening to music. You know, if I listen to music, like a, an opera or something, and if I focus on the French horns or the violins, I'm going to get more detail. And the more you bring yourself into the moment, into the surroundings of what's happening around you and into your body and how you're breathing, the more detail there is. And if you bring yourself fully here to be hyper aware of everything, you're going to notice to be fully aware of everything takes a lot of energy. <laughs> mm. And so the question is, can you self-regulate your energy and be present and be consciously aware of everything that you do? And as you do everything, how are things responding around you? And how are the sensations in your physiology changing? Beautiful. Just to clarify a little bit more to add a little bit more kind of detail sometimes it's hard to put into words how it feels to be experiencing flow whether it's breathing you know that presence and i think you've given us a flavor too as well but you know as there's a continuum it sounds like the you know there's higher resolution kind of levels how would you describe when you've achieved those uh, incredibly high resolution levels how does that feel in terms of breathing or creativity uh, if you try to put it into words, sometimes it's hard to do, but I'd love to get to get your thoughts. Uh, very difficult to do, to describe it. But uh, the only way, because again, we're using verbal language 
And different people, and, and all I'm trying to do is describe kind of the physiological sensations and how you're bringing your attention. Now, different people, because everybody, arguably what drives people and why, what drives growth is this peak performance flow state. And so if you think about it, you know, some people will go running, some people will go skiing, some people go surfing, some people drive fast cars. You know, why do they do that or ride a motorcycle very fast or go BMX biking? You know, why do I do that is because when I do that activity, it kicks me into a flow state. Mm. You know, I'm there, I'm riding a motorcycle very fast or I'm skiing, you know, off piste or something, you know, <laughs> in a triple black diamond or something like this. You know, you know that when if you're slightly off, if you miss what judge one little thing, you're probably going to end up in a hospital, right? And mm. So when you do that and kind of the, you've anteed everything up to that level, which also requires a lot of skill and training, uh, that induces presence. You're forced into that state and it literally becomes life or death. And you're aware of breathing. You feel like time stops. You know, I'm, I'm kind of just going with things. And the thing about it is it's going to be different for different people. For some people, I code all night and then I, oh, wow, that was the whole night. Or I played a video game, wow, eight hours went by. It just went by like that, right? Other people, it's surfing or, or skydiving or, you know, whatever the activity is for that person, they must have something within their life. And I'm not so interested in the activity, but I know that these kind of activities kick someone into a flow state, into a peak performance state. And so really, it's looking at their vernacular through their life experience to try to communicate it to them in their language. Beautiful. And you really talked about that activity, too, that it's going to be unique to each person. And then I think part of that journey um, is for each individual is to find out what activities that allow them to get to those higher resolution which there's trade-offs, of course, because if you t choose something that's too risky, uh, you know, you face a uh, you know, risk of death. But, you know, finding something where you can build that skill level to get you to those kind of higher resolution levels. Is there any things that uh, you'd recommend for people as they, as they kind of look across their lives? I think there's natural things that they gravitate towards. But uh, is, you know, as they're looking for those higher, kind of higher resolution levels, uh, is there anything you'd recommend to, to people, the audience? Well, so... The most challenging thing in all of this, again, and you know, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, is living from your deepest truth mm. and understanding how your prior experiences have shaped what you believe and how you behave, and really exploring that in a deep way. And there is, you know, you probably a lot of people reference kind of the Steve Jobs speech where, you know, hey, you do something and it's kind of connecting the dots, you know, kind of looking back on your life and seeing how things kind of have, have led you to where you're at. And doing those kind of investigations, I find helpful. Mm. And looking at it to understand the motivations and the, the key moments in your life that have shaped who you are and have influenced you. And so that's one aspect of it, it, looking at things moving forward. Like I know several people that have dealt with a suicide in their family, and then that changed. Oh, I'm going to focus on mental health now because I love them, and losing them was a pain painful thing, and I think I can do something about this. And that, that experience shaped me 
into, or, you know, cancer survivors usually too, they'll like, oh, this happened. And, you know, I, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. And, and so these kind of events will shape. <laughs> For me, I, I got into theater because I think I, when I was in second or third grade, you know, I saw a, a school production of Puss in Boots. Mm. <laughs> I was con- completely enamored. I still remember that as an experience. And then I can kind of trace all of my interest in th- theater and musical theater kind of back to that experience. And so those kind of things are helpful to understand your experiences and, and, and understanding how those experiences have shaped you. But then also a lot of the traumas as well, and really looking at how early trauma may have influenced your attitude and the limitations that you've created for yourself as defense mechanisms in that prevent me from being open, authentic, and allowing myself to be vulnerable in especially in engagement in relationships. Yeah, fantastic. That's absolutely beautiful. Um, I loved how you described too, just the, you know, those earlier experiences, whether it's trauma or just a, you know, a challenge that really keep you from being open and creates defense mechanisms, which kind of inhibits journey of openness and you know, having new things come into your life rapidly. Which also for you, also, you probably know very well too, influences how you breathe mm. and the flow of energy in your body, especially if, you, if you've, it, on the Eastern perspective, you know, done Qigong or, or, or these kind of practices. But, you know, the mind and the body are intimately related and you can heal the psychology, but the best, or you could look at the physiology, the best is to really examine the physiology and the psychology in totality. Beautiful. Absolutely love that. Shifting gears just a little bit, what are some of the small things that you do to maintain happiness and well-being in your personal life? Life has its ups and downs. What are some of the small things you do to start off your day or finish off your day in terms of happiness and well-being? Well, for me, again, part of this whole living your deepest truth thing is uh, arguably, you know, I have a whole theory on personal development, but kind of at the core of your being, and it's really putting things into proper perspective. You know, and my thesis is at the core of your being and at the core of everyone's being, there's an inner experience that's present within everybody. Mm. And the only way I can describe this experience with words is that right here and right now, it's good to be alive. Mm-hmm. And so it's always staying grounded to that. And so if you can be present, and know the influences of how your thinking influences physiology and know this experience of this innate joy of being <laughs> and you know life and existence there's a lot to be grateful for and if you can stay and keep things in that perspective and then also be aware of as i try to do something how does the reality respond how do people respond <laughs> how does you know, you'll notice when you do things, certain things happen very fluidly and effortlessly. Mm-hmm. And other things, no matter how hard you try, it just doesn't happen, right? And so as you start really investigating, how am I feeling? Where am I coming from? What are the deeper stories that are driving me to do this or even to say this as delta T approaches zero with every action that you take? Then the question is, what is it that takes you out of this innate joy of being. 
And if you go a little bit uh, more detail, just that you talked about that, that gratefulness, yeah. are there any practices that you have as part of your day just to finish off your day, whether it's to grab a pen and start writing, or is it to, to have a cup of tea that really kind of gets you into you know, that space as part of you know, a daily ritual to regulate energy or just to get to that first kind of stage of uh, gratefulness as, as part of your day? Imagine the first opportunity is, you know, uh, is while you're sleeping. And even during that, if you can extend, you know, your waking time to sleep time and actually be present full time. But uh, even as, as you start your day, but I'd love to get your thoughts on both, actually, you know, the waking and also the, the sleeping. Well, part of this is, uh, for me at least, is a kind of ex- with that gratitude is accepting yourself the way you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a lot of people try to perform And you can try to perform kind of like a racehorse, if you will. And a lot of people will have practices where I meditate or, you know, I have certain rituals that I do. And the way I like to describe that is a lot of people are, you know, what I call kind of a charge, discharge, charge, discharge cycle, where I'll kind of meditate and relax and I'll charge up. And then I kind of work and I push myself really hard and then I kind of discharge and then I go to the gym and everything and, you know, release all the kind of... the hormones in my bloodstream and everything, meditate again or write something to clear the mind. And then I charge again or sleep and then meditate again and then discharge. And then I'll, I'll do that on, on a daily scale. And then every couple of months, I'll go on a vacation or something or the weekends even for the week. So I'm charging, discharging in different granularities of cycles. Mm. But all of that is still, you know, I, you know, I, the discharge is because I've accumulated a lot of frustration and and things and things weren't maybe not going the way I had intended. And so I'm holding that in and then I have to, uh, go, okay. And then discharge versus mm. just being present and mm. continuously monitoring what's going on with you. And then rather than charge and discharge, this whole notion of flow is, can I always be aware of the state that I'm in? And then what is it that takes me out? And then just be mindful of that. I love that. Does that make sense? Or one hundred percent. And so the question is, can you stay in in flow? And it's difficult because it's it's kind of like you know, if I took a a pencil and I tried to balance a book on a pencil, you know, any slight disturbance will kind of knock the book off of the pencil. You know, the tip of a pencil. If I put a a book in perfect balance, the book can stay balanced, and any kind of perturbation will knock the book off the pencil. And so can you kind of stay balanced in the equanimity, in the stillness within yourself? And can you then be present and just explore and, and then understand that, you know, where am I coming from? Love that. Uh, shifting gears is the perfect opportunity, of course. Can you share with the audience some of the projects that you're currently working on and uh, kind of unpack a little bit more of what you just kind of talked about there? So I think for you, me, and everyone this COVID period, especially lockdowns, I'm here in Hong Kong, and we're just, we're very fortunate. We're, uh, we're now able to, uh, everyone's still wearing masks, but we can kind of, there were only like eight new cases today. Uh, a couple of days ago, there were only two new cases. Mm-hmm. And um, society here is fairly uh, caring for one another. So we uh, comply <laughs> and we kind of follow the rules. But that has given a lot of time for uh, reflection. And so a um, couple of the new projects that we've, we're doing is, are, are really looking at how do we get uh, people like your demographic, kind of these 
innovators, entrepreneurs, artists, kind of out of the box thinkers together and to help support them to create the new systems uh, that will drive humanity forward. In relation to that is really looking at the existing systems and what other systems are needed but aren't yet there. And so uh, a couple of the projects, uh, th three of them I'll kind of name. One is called Antarabhav, which is we're looking at uh, mental health and uh, people that push themselves really hard. Uh, what happens to a subset of people is they, uh, they kind of flip out. You know, uh, they're working really hard and then they're focused, laser focused on one thing. And then surreal things start happening. Coincidences, synchronicities start happening. And then they're driven by their thoughts and their beliefs and their conviction. And then even more surreal shit happens. And then they end up in a positive feedback loop. And then pretty soon they're not eating right. They're not sleeping right. Mm -hmm. And then the physiology can't maintain the energy. And then they crash. But usually before that, they spin out and they pop out. And then a lot of these people usually end up in a mental hospital and then end up in pharmaceuticals. So bipolar disorder, mania, manic depression, depression, all of these things are a regulation of energy in the physiology mm. because of the tight coupling of their belief systems, usually associated with what they've been taught and potentially influenced by early trauma as well too, that have kind of kicked their nervous system into high gear and they end up kind of in mental hospitals and, and, many, and many of these people end up homeless. And so how do we take these people and rather than putting them in mental hospitals and, and having them homeless, how do we bring them into nature and then with ex people that are experienced that have been through the process and how do we kind of give them skills to stay grounded and to be able to self-regulate? That's beautiful. And so that's one thing, and that's something that's needed, especially today where mental health issues abound, uh, again, because of COVID, people losing their jobs, et cetera. Uh, a second one is we're really looking at uh, the code name for this one is uh, mystagogical. And basically, it's how do we kind of reframe entrepreneurship and really look at entrepreneurship from the perspective of personal development. And then how do we build the framework where we get people that don't need money anymore, people that are kind of semi-retired, people that have had exits, um, people that are usually on, on the, the, the later parts of their life, you know, post-midlife, to help mentor and work with entrepreneurs, really looking at it from the perspective of personal development. Almost mm. like you know, the tagline for it and I, is kind of entrepreneurship as a spiritual path. You know, as you, you know, what are the stories having the entrepreneurs really look at what we just talked about before is, you know, what are the stories in their minds that are driving the emotions? What are the emotions motivating their action? And as they do something, how does the reality respond or the market or whatever? And as the reality responds, how does that make them feel? And it's helping them understand that loop and using their endeavor as the teacher for towards self-knowledge. And so we've kind of been working out a framework. We do this thing called the Evolving Caravan. We have workshops in this space. And I, I've run these workshops around the world as well, too. But we've kind of had, with the, the lockdown time, had some time to kind of systematize it and, and put a framework around uh, that. 
And the code name for that right now, I don't quite have a name, but the code name I've been using for that is called the mystagogical. And then the third thing that I'm doing is really, again, tied to personal development, is looking at personal development in the era of COVID. And so now with lockdowns where people can't meet, or maybe only people can meet within a city, people aren't doing international travel as much anymore. How do we help build infrastructure and build community uh, locally uh, to support personal development? And so one of the things that we've done is we've kind of mapped out all of the, uh, the kind of wellness businesses in Hong Kong. Turns out there are over 2,000 businesses in Hong Kong. Hong wow. Kong alone has 300 yoga studios. There are 70 mind-body centers, uh, flotation tank places, you know, all this, you know, different cranial sacral, all these different Rolfing, Feldenkrais, different healing modalities. And so we've kind of mapped out that ecosystem in Hong Kong. And then we've kind of identified five archetypal or kind of standard types of people that use these businesses, people that are maintaining. And so these are people that have bought into consensus reality and maybe they go do yoga or meditate 20 minutes a day and stuff to maintain their sanity and their life. And there are people that are uh, exploring and these are kind of the fringe entrepreneurs, artists. They'll try anything once, kind of experience junkie types. Mm -hmm. There's the uh, people that are healing. And so maybe my parents died. I just got over a relationship or a divorce. I realize I'm wounded and I'm maybe doing a juice detox. I'm cranial sacral. I'm, I'm kind of working on my healing myself and giving myself more me time to really introspect, reflect, and, and heal. There are the other ones that are seeking. And these are people that, you know, are have really starting to question society and reality and everything. And and they're reading a lot of philosophy. They're going to India for six months, or go, I'm going to go to ayahuasca in Peru or something, and or do a 10-day Vipassana retreat. And so these are people that are kind of seeking. And then the last are what I call awakening. And so these are people that have gone through some kind of uh, experience that they can't quite explain. <laughs> and then now they're getting downloads. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're getting insights or they can see auras or, you know, something's happened to them that has kind of shifted their perspective and kind of their phenomenological experience of the moment. Mm. And these people, it's like, hey, I, I, I have these things. I, you know, I see these things. I hear these things and I have these experiences. But when I talk to normal people, quote and unquote, they think I'm crazy. <laughs> and so it's getting uh, kind of, that's like a, a different, another type of person. And so what we're doing is with these different types of people and with all these businesses, creating community. And so we're mm -hmm. doing like events that bring these different types of people together in engaging in ways and in, in creating the safe spaces for them to speak and to share and to explore. And then it's a membership-based thing where half of the, the fees go to supporting these events that we do. And then the other half uh, go to supporting the local businesses that then potentially match that part of their membership fee. And so we're basically supporting the local businesses and communities and everything as well, too. Absolutely amazing. I love that. So, And uh, it's really creating, uh, creating the connections, which it's so hard for people to, because there's so much information that's thrown at people, and to really to create a system of matching people with uh, tremendous organizations that really can offer offer tremendous value to uh, the respective parties. Is that correct? 
Well, not just organizations, but people, you know, people connecting with people and sharing mm. their experiences uh. and really building community. And the neat thing is once we have Hong Kong figured out in terms of the model, I'm sure where you're at in uh, Toronto, right? That's correct. Um, yeah, in, in Toronto, there's the, uh, there's the yoga studios. I'm sure there are mind-body centers. There are people doing gong baths and meditation places. And so most modern cities now have all of these elements. And so the question is, how do we kind of build community? So really using Hong Kong as creating a template, which can be uh, carried around the world in terms of how to create a structure in community that uh, really helps people out tremendously. Well, ultimately, all three or four of those projects that I talk, talked about, uh, the, the, the core theme of it is how do we collectively support personal journeys? So each mm. individual is having a journey, you know, whether you're someone going through a kind of a, a spiritual emergency or you're an entrepreneur or <laughs> you're someone living in the city that's, that's exploring, how do we collectively support each other on our journeys through life? I love that. Gino, uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's such a, an amazing story of uh, uh, being Asian American, experiencing inequality, really going through this journey of life and traveling for a bit, really opening up uh, your being, exposure to different cultures. Really now you're, you've, uh, you've taken all these amazing influences. I know that as part of uh, your academic kind of uh, mentorship and uh, influences, and now uh, putting all this knowledge and energy into these amazing uh, initiatives at this point in time. Uh, do you have any parting words for the audience that you'd want to share with people as they're, uh, you know, as they're looking to support their own personal journeys, because I think we're all looking for that at this point in time, especially during this period of time with COVID, uh, which probably heightens things. But do you have any kind of parting words for the audience, which kind of helps them get on the path of, uh, of uh, you know, supporting their own journeys? <laughs> uh, live life reverently. I love that. Gino, thank you for your leadership your initiatives, your speaking engagements, and all the happiness oxygen you bring to the world. And a tremendous thank you to all the listeners. As always, this has been your host, John Tuckums. You have made it to the end of the podcast. It's your host, John Tuckums. I want to take this moment to sincerely thank you. I'm incredibly grateful for the time you are taking to invest in your life. And if you gain something valuable from this episode and want to give me value somehow, I would tremendously appreciate if you went to Apple Podcasts, iTunes. If you have an Apple product where you listen to this podcast and leave this show a review, you are free to send me a message or email. Contact information is in the description below. Thank you again for listening and thank you for your contributions in helping billions of people to find their happiness oxygen.